Welcome to our podcast, We're Not So Different. I'm Samira. And I'm Ali. We're two professionals having real conversations about our experiences at home, work, and out in the community. We tell our stories through the lens of our different backgrounds to just find out that we're not so different. In our podcast, we'll explore ways that we can improve engagement and bridge social gaps while trying to find the humor in it all. Check us out on social media at WNSDifferent or email us at WNSDifferent at gmail.com. Thank you everyone for joining the We're Not So Different podcast. I'm Samira here with my co-host Ali, and today we have a very special guest, Savannah Clemens, founder of the Keep Choosing Life website and foundation. Thank you for joining us, Savannah. Um, if you don't mind, we'd like you to start off by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself. Yeah, no problem. Um, first of all, thank you for having me today. I'm very honored and appreciate you guys for reaching out. Um, but for everyone who's listening, my name is Savannah. I'm the founder of the nonprofit organization Keep Choosing Life, as Samira mentioned. It is a nonprofit organization focused around suicide and mental health awareness. I started it in 2018, um, about two weeks after Anthony Bourdain and Kate Spade had died by suicide. The reason I started it was because the conversation around mental health was the same as it always is for celebrities when they die, especially by suicide. It was why are these individuals choosing to go this way? They have so much money. They're so happy. They have a very supportive family. Like they created this amazing life for them, but no one was focusing on the deeper issue, which was depression, mental health, and things along those lines. And in addition to that, I also struggle with mental health and I've seen it take many lives of people throughout my lifetime. And I figured at that time, there was no better time to start a company. And so 20 minutes later, after sitting at my desk at work, I had a registered 501c3 and Keep Choosing Life has been going ever since. That's awesome. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about your uh, nonprofit organization? And then I'd like to jump right into your story. Yeah, so Keep Choosing Life's main goal is to connect individuals to the resources that they need in order to better their mental health. And that could be things like therapy or rehab if needed, or just getting them to build their own self-care routine. And I have self-care kits available for that. And that's basically a baseline of self-care items that they can use to just start that routine, because obviously self-care is not a one-size-fits-all. But I value like working on yourself, especially when mental health, because no one really knows where to start. And so being able to help people start that journey of wanting to better themselves and wanting to keep being here is kind of why I did it. And hence, that's why I chose the name, Keep Choosing Life, because when you're down in the dumps, basically, and you're wanting to end your life, you want some sort of inspiration or some sort of hope to keep going. And so that's why Keep Choosing Life exists is to inspire and empower others to take mental health into their hands and to actually get better, basically. That's wonderful. Um, I did want to share that before we jumped in. That way, if anyone already is sitting there thinking, especially we've been sitting at home, excuse me, we've been sitting at home for almost seven months now, sheltering in place and everything going on in the world. If they're experiencing uh, depression, they have some access points to some help that they can get. So it's keepchoosinglife.org. I encourage you to go check it out. 
um, if you're not suffering from mental health but want to help people who are, you can also donate. So, um, so Savannah, tell me a little bit about your story and how what your experience with depression has been so that it motivated or activated you to create this website. So when I was 13, I got diagnosed with depression and it kind of just made sense. <laughs> um, I was, it was more than just feeling sad all the time. I was also going through, at the time it's really traumatic looking back, but I was going through a very intense, like, or intense probably isn't the word, but I was moving states. So I was born in Oregon. I grew up in Oregon and uh, moving to Washington after 13 years of living in my home state was really hard. Um, I also just, I couldn't really think about or fathom the fact that like I was leaving my home and I was leaving all my friends and everything that I've kind of ever known. Um, so I got diagnosed with depression around that time. And when I moved, it just got worse because we all know Washington is dark basically nine months out of the year. So that didn't really help, but- I, I like it's um, overcast, gloomy. Yeah, <laughs> seasonal <laughs> depression is very high here, but um, it but Before just... we continue, can I ask a question for parents who are out there or, you know, friends and whatnot, before that move, were you a generally happy, normal kid, or did you have any type of signs or battles with depression before that move? So I had signs before. Um, I was already struggling with self-harm prior to the diagnosis, and I was just lack of energy, which is a, a big sign, especially for a kid. Like, if you're not enjoying anything that you're doing or if you have no drive to do anything, that's normally, like, the number one sign for someone is just, like, a lack of motivation for life, basically. And so the other sign, like I said, was self-harm, so I was already starting that, and um, when I got the diagnosis, it was like, oh, I'm not just sad, like something's wrong. Yeah. And so that kind of started it. But while I was going through my own struggles, I had friends who had also got, who also were diagnosed with depression at the same time. So weirdly enough, we would all just kind of support each other with being sad. But it, looking back, I was always the person who was called when they were going through their own stuff. And so I'd put my situation basically just back burner it and give my friends the attention that they deserve because they needed my help to know that they still had a reason to be here. And even if I wanted to go, I wanted my friends to still live. And so I wanted to do everything possible to make sure that my friends were going to be okay. And that kind of, that whole, like I'm the therapist friend kind of just stayed with me as I got older. Um, even moving into Washington, I still encountered a lot of friends who also struggled with mental health and I was still the person to call. And while I'm very honored that people were able to confide those things with me, it was still something that I realized was a bigger issue than I feel like society gives credit to. And so I knew that I also always wanted to just help people because it was in my nature to do so. And I was originally going to school to actually be a therapist. And I saw how long it took to be a therapist. And I said, never mind. <laughs> and so, because at the end of the day, like, I wanted to help people now. I didn't want to help people in eight, 10 years when I had a license, because in eight, 10 years, 
that's so many lives that I wouldn't be able to impact. And like I said, it was in a, a sense of immediacy that I wanted to do something. I also just wanted to help people. Um, like I, people always kind of judge me for this, but making a lot of money was never a thing for me. Um, like I didn't want to be like that top 1%. I'd rather use the money if I was a top 1% to help people. And so the nonprofit kind of started to fester as an idea. And then in 2018, it was like, this is what we're doing. And so then I created the nonprofit, but the diagnosis and the experiences I had with people in my life was definitely the biggest drive to do the nonprofit in the first place, because I spent so long wanting to end my own life and having so many attempts and doing all these things that just were going against my body. And I finally had that wake up call and I like saw the light and basically was like, you have a reason to keep going. So you need to keep going. And I made the decision to basically keep choosing life at about 1920 and I'm 24 now. So I'm very grateful that I made the decision to do so because I created something from my own struggles and I can inspire people to talk about their, their struggles so that we can collectively end the stigma and inspire others to keep going. Um, that's great. I wanted to, to go back to what was that, what was that time period like between 13 where you really started to feel, um, obviously you mentioned going through this with friends, you were in Washington, you were, you were transplanting and moving and that had an impact on you and it seemed to exacerbate the situation. And from when you made the conscious decision at 19, you said to say, this is, you know, I'm going to continue to choose life. What are some of the things that transpired in between that time for you that, that were the low points and maybe the high points? Um, so the lowest points were obviously like the, a lot of the suicide attempts and um, just kind of being in a place that I wasn't familiar with. I didn't call Washington home for a very long time. And I think that ha that played a huge factor into my mental health because I was just kind of like rejecting everything around me um, and causing further isolation that way. And that didn't really help the situation. Um, so I would say like, those would be the lowest moments. And obviously like I still charm in a variety of ways and like those were definitely some of the darker times because obviously I'm inflicting pain on myself. Um, but in contrast to that, the highest points, the things that like I remind myself, like this is why you're still here and why you got to like, essentially why you got the opportunity to do those things is because you chose to keep going. Like I graduated high school. I got, to stay with a company that I've worked for since I was 16 and I'm still with that company, I wouldn't have that opportunity if I chose to go between that time frame. And I've been able to like live on my own. I went to school. I got to do all these amazing things that I looking back now get to remind myself, like you had the opportunity to do that because you got to keep going. Right. And I got to see all these amazing things happen to friends and I got to see family and I got to be closer to my family. And there, those are the things that remind me, like, that's why you're still here. So all those nights that you spent crying and 
just wanting to end it all, those don't compare. I think it's beautiful that you were able to take something that was so, that the experience that was so dark and bring so much hope and support and light into so many other people's lives, including yourself. Um, what were some essential things and tools or experiences that you had that helped you get out um, and, and no longer be in that place of wanting to conduct self-harm or wanting to commit suicide? So the biggest thing that actually kind of like was the wake up call for me was when I was about 19 years old, um, I was one of the self-harm things that I did at that time was uh, excessive drinking, being underage. And um, cause I was in college at the time. And it was the idea that I would do it hoping that like basically my liver would give out or something like that. And I remember just kind of waking up one day, didn't go to class because I was too hungover from the night before. And it was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, I don't want to go through this struggle every day. Like, I don't want to keep waking up and feeling this bad, basically. And a similar moment to that was when I was 17 and I would self-harm by cutting. And the wake-up call for that one was, I don't, like, I stopped cutting because I tried on a bikini once and my mom had seen the scars on my hip and a couple fresh wounds from nights before. And she had asked me what happened. And I had said, I ran into the table. And obviously that doesn't look like table wounds, <laughs> but um, that was one of the reasons I had stopped also because looking down at my hip and seeing it and being like, I don't wanna have to explain these scars to my future children. Um, I've covered them up with tattoos since then, but looking back, I kind of wish I didn't because I'd love to be able to explain my story further to them. But a lot of those things were like, I just don't want to have to feel this way anymore. Like I'm drowning out something that could possibly have some benefits or I could change my perspective of how it's affecting me and do something else. And that's kind of the message that I've also told other people is like, why do you think about mental health as such a negative thing? And if it's a part of you, why not embrace it? Because some of the most creative and successful people in this world also struggle with mental health and they've all, they've been able to work past it or do things that help them cope with it. Like for example, artists, they use their mental health to create basically their art and their livelihood. And so I viewed my mental health no longer as a negative thing. And I just wanted to accept the fact that this is something that I struggle with. And this is something that we're going to get through. And I did. And so like I have a tattoo that says when your willingness to wrestle with your demons will cause your angels to sing. And so I wrestled with my demons and my angels still sing. And so that's kind of what keeps me going. I've never heard that. That's beautiful. Same. So I wanted to ask something. I noticed, you know, on when you, you mentioned two things, you mentioned inspiration and empowerment. And I know on your website, it's one of the four values you have transparency, inspiration, empowerment, and strong. How did you come up with those four um, 
those four things as the values for the organization? So inspiration was because of the hopes of my story inspiring, excuse me, my, uh, my story inspiring others. And also just that sense of hope, um, whether that be from my story or from other people finding hope and whatever kind of brings them like that sense of fulfillment. And so I thought inspiration was really important because we all kind of need that little reminder of like why we like why we're still here like why do you choose to wake up every day and empowerment was because mental health is something that we don't really understand as a society or we choose not to and so we choose not to talk about it and therefore there's a lot of people who just kind of sit with it and are alone with it and I think there's nothing more empowering than finally realizing that you don't want to be in that dark place anymore and that you're choosing to ask for help, whether that be with a therapist or you're reaching out to a friend and just saying, Hey, I'm not okay. And I need you to, I need you to be here for me and I need to talk to you. And so empowerment kind of showed up in that way of like, you are taking the stance on your mental health because you want to, and you want to better yourself. And strong was just, I think that's self-explanatory. I think going through mental health or the mental health journey, especially when you're struggling with the idea of suicide um, and choosing to be here still, you're strong regardless because there's nothing stronger than battling the idea of wanting to end your life, but choosing to keep going. And for transparency, that one actually wasn't one of the original values that I had for the organization, but because I'm very open with my story and my experience with suicide and mental health, I figured transparency should be on there because I don't want to hold anything back from anyone. The reason I created the organization is to share my story further. And so transparency just makes sense because you can't really help anyone if you're not being honest. And so that's where transparency came in. So I try to share as much of myself as I can. And especially with the two other people on my team, they also share as much of their story as they can because we want people to know like this is an authentic and safe place if you want to reach out to us for anything. Got it. I like that. Um, one thing that I, that I would ask to, you talked earlier about your high points and low points. You also talked about, you know, the thing that kind of brought you out. Um, Based on that and based on your desire to help others, what is it that the organization provides to those who are struggling with depression, thoughts of suicide? What are, what are kind of the resources that you provide to help people? Yeah, um, good question. So the two main resources that I offer, right? Well, there's not, there's a bunch, but the two that I heavily offer are uh, partnerships with BetterHelp and Talkspace. And so for those who don't know, those are online e-counseling um, companies and they basically just partner you with a therapist that meets your needs. So you do basically a get to know me when you sign up for BetterHelp or in Talkspace. And then about 24 hours later, you'll get a notification that you've been matched with a therapist. And then you get to meet with that therapist on your schedule. If you need to meet with them every day, then that's something that you coordinate with that schedule or that therapist. If you need to see them once a week, then you schedule that. If you need to just send them a message of like, hey, I'm not feeling great. Can I just talk to you really quick? They are there for online messaging 24 hours, seven days a week. 
And so both organizations are amazing and I like them because they fit around a busy schedule. I work full time, I am in school part time, and then I run Keep Choosing Life. So it's really difficult to kind of schedule therapy when my your schedule looks like mine and I know I'm not the only one who has to deal with that. So these are both amazing organizations and for better help if you go through my website there is a code that gets you your first month free and then same with Talkspace you get $100 off your first month and in general both of these are about 250 to $300 depending on your plan that you choose if you choose to continue them they're about 200 250 to $300 a month and traditional therapy can range up to 180 an hour and if you're seeing your therapist multiple times it starts to add up so I recommend Talkspace and BetterHelp more than anything because therapy changed my life and I can only imagine what it could do for other people. Yeah, no, that, that, that makes sense. Have, you know, I'm, I'm curious to know, have you seen, you know, what changes have you seen since COVID related to just the organization, um, the amount of traffic maybe, just the different types of things that people have, um, have been dealing with? So when COVID started, it was, um, I had a moment of panic, but because I was like, this is the most time that anyone is ever going to spend by themselves. And it's not time that anyone wanted. And so I'm was very certain of the fact that COVID was going to cause a lot of suicides to happen because of the fact that um, isolation is such a new thing for all of us and granted the world is kind of opened back up now but when COVID started my focus went to I need to get more resources available to as many people as possible I need to show everyone that like keep choosing life is here is still standing I am not impacted by COVID and I would like to just help as much as I can and so a lot of the stress at the beginning was just trying to figure out like what can keep choosing life do. And so, like I had mentioned, I, those partnerships actually happened during COVID and it was just like a no brainer to get those things done. And so the partnerships happened. And then I also spent the first couple months of COVID sending self-care kits out to people in healthcare because those were the people who were going to be stretched thin the most because they're working in hospitals with something that they're still very foreign to. And so a couple of people got self-care kits and just little reminders being like, I know that what you're doing right now is saving as many people as possible, but you need to know that you're also looked after and that you're cared for. And if you ever get stressed out while you're on the job, like please know that someone is looking after you and that you can take a deep breath and just take the space that you need. But also as like a thank you for your service. Like you're, you're doing the impossible right now. And so COVID was just like, it was a call to action of like, you need to be here more than ever. And so that's what I did. Ollie, I'm curious to ask you, cause you and I have had these questions a lot. And so I also um, have, have dealt with mental health and Man, have to manage my anxiety, have um, tons of experience with depression and post-traumatic stress. Um, Ali, I know you say 
that you've never <laughs> had dealt with any of those things. I don't know why this has turned on me. So no, I just think it's, <laughs> I think it's good for us to have this dialogue because I think, I think, I think a lot of people, or my, and I'm going to share my experience, and then Savannah, you have way more experience both with yourself and the people you work with. So let me know what you what you think. But I think at first when we talk depression, I don't, I personally didn't know that it wasn't normal. Like it wasn't for me. It was this was just the way life was. So you mm -hmm. dealt with it and it sucked, and then that was just it. That's life. Life, you, life is hard. Life sucks. You, you got to figure it out. And so I just lived you know until one day i realized something happened and i realized life doesn't have to be this way that i can choose to be different but when you um and maybe because even as savannah was sharing it kind of touched me because some of the things that she was exhibiting when she was 13 i can see in my son a little bit um especially right now he's very social he likes to be around his friends he has no motivation when i ask him what do you want to do he's like eh, i don't care whatever i he doesn't sometimes he does seem sad to me and i don't know how to get it out of him but at the same time it's um so I'm glad we're having this conversation because it's giving me um some things I need to be more aware of and maybe help him through but as someone who um doesn't necessarily relate to this topic how what is your experience and what are your thoughts like coming in because I wanted I want to make sure that everyone is part of this conversation and not those just those people who are going through it because I think it's important for one um you guys to be able to identify so that if someone in your life is impacted you know how to help them you can understand them and also uh you never know maybe there is something that you haven't dealt with and that is there but you haven't seen it so I'm just kind of curious what your experience is listening to this and and what your thoughts are <laughs> well, I was gonna, I was gonna ask Savannah that question, okay. um, just about, just about support. And I think I'll preface it by saying this: as I've gotten older, I've known people that have, to your point, told me the same story you told me about dealing with anxiety. I've known some people that have dealt with a lot of anxiety and they've or depression, and they've explained it to me. And it is difficult for someone who hasn't experienced it to recognize it. And, but that's a universal principle, right? Like that's, you know, we've talked a lot about what it's like to be black, what it's like to be a woman, what's it, what it's like to be from the Middle East, what it's like to be Latino. Like there's, it's hard when you don't walk in another person's shoes. But I think one of the added difficulties is when you grow up in a culture that has historically struggled the struggle either strengthens you or it puts you in a place of hopelessness. But even in that place of hopelessness, to your point when you said, this is just, <clears throat> excuse me, this is just what we do. You know, when I think about my father who was born in 1933 in Arkansas and the stuff that he went through, like that's it. I mean, just the stuff that he went through related to racism, the stuff that he went through within his own family, right? The own, the, his own family ties and bonds that were estranged. You know, for groups like that, it's like you just work through it. Yeah. There is no recognition of is this anxiety? Is this depression? Is this anything, right? I, there was a comedian 
that had a skit. He was talking, he mentioned Anthony Bourdain, and then he mentioned a friend of his who, you know, had his 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 law school dreams dashed on the rocks, his education dashed on the rocks, and is you know forty something years old, living in his mom's basement, working a Footlocker, and is still living on. And, and it is what it is, right? So, I think for some of us who are from those sorts of backgrounds, regardless of where it is, the idea is that struggle is a part of life because of how you look, where you are, your gender, whatever the case may be you push through it and move forward and partly because the people before you had it worse than you did and did more with less than you have. And there is always someone doing worse than you. So for us, when I was growing up and for my parents and my cousins, aunties and uncles, it was, you know, you're black. It's a struggle. It's always going to be this way. You make the most of it and be lucky you didn't grow up in my era. Right. And it's kind of you just push forward. So I think for me, part of it is positive because, you know, iron sharpens iron. and You have to know the history of what you've gone through and be tough. But it does block out the 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 pinpointing exactly what's going on. If there's something in addition to that anxiety, depression, thoughts of suicide, those sorts of things. And it doesn't necessarily point you in the right direction to get help. Right. right? It just kind of says, well, I can talk to someone about it which is what we historically do or, or, you know, people go to church, you talk to God, right? right? Yeah, you, you, talk, you call on Jesus right. and, and, and say that <laughs> the devil tried to, the devil tried to make it so I can't get out of bed this morning, right? That's a standard black church. You know, the yeah. devil tried not to let me wake up this morning, right? That you, you put your emphasis on, on religion, you put your emphasis on talking to one another about it, which is cathartic and it helps, but it does it, it does separate you from the more clinical aspects of fighting depression, fighting anxiety, fighting thoughts of suicide. And we can see those trends going up in all communities, and we can see those trends going up specifically in the black community as well, because typically we just follow suit, right? As things start to normalize you just catch up to where everyone else is eventually, right? So um, for me, you know, I was gonna, the question that I was gonna pose to Savannah was, you know, how do, how do groups of people, specifically cultures that don't really identify these things directly that are typically used to falling back on religion, falling back on just talking them through, falling back on acceptance, falling back on numbness, falling back on, this is just the way things are and I need to push through. There are going to be those that are dealing with this on a more serious level, where it's not just the state of being a woman or the state of being black or the state of being Persian or the state of being Latinx. It's more than that, right? There are thoughts of, of committing bodily, bodily harm or, or being anxious. How can those communities and those cultures do better about a recognition in someone else be in recognition of things that they may personally be dealing with and then see what do you feel is the way in which they may think about approaching those things. So as you were kind of explaining that, it just kind of made me think, so I'm half Asian and in Asian cultures, you don't talk about it. And it's just kind of like what you said is 
based on our ancestors, like they've gone through more things than we have essentially. And so, for example, my mother's an immigrant. She's also a refugee. She's a refugee from Cambodia. She survived the genocide that happened, which no one really talks about in our current uh, school system, but it killed over a million Cambodians. And it was one of the larger genocide genocides that happened in Asia. And so she survived that. And when with growing up, if I ever like felt something, it was always really kind of hard to talk to her about it because I think of from her perspective, like she's gone through so much more than I have <laughs> and she's had to fight for her life literally to just be here. And I'm like, I look up to my mom and I'm so appreciative of her and what she's gone through to be here. And so when it comes to mental health and just kind of talking about it, like obviously there are some things that she struggles with because of that growing up. And it's been um, just kind of watching her and trying to open that conversation with her has been a process. And it's been a lot easier now that I'm older and I already, and I understand my mental health and mental health in general, I can talk to her a little bit more about it, but it's kind of those, it's that along the lines of like acknowledging it is like, you just kind of have to talk about it. It is a very uncomfortable and difficult conversation, but it can also be the conversation that saves someone's life. And so for all other cultures in general, it's just kind of making sure that you check on everyone. And I say that regardless of what ethnic background you come from, but it's just making sure that you're there for people. Like just that simple question of, are you okay? Or how are you doing? Opens up so many doors. And like I said, I say that to everybody because those are very simple questions, but they give so much space for the individual to answer. And a lot of my friends are also from different ethnic backgrounds. And it's the same thing for like the Latinx community. It's another one of those things like you don't really talk about it. And so just trying to get them more comfortable with just expressing emotion of just being like, I don't feel good today. Like, okay, that's a great start. Let's keep going. And that's, like I said, that opens up the door for if someone's not really understanding what's going on, they can just start that conversation but it also gives the other person who is struggling the opportunity to keep speaking on that. And obviously this is a little bit easier said than done, especially if you come from a culture that historically does not express emotion. For example, in Asian cultures, they don't express anything. And so it's been just slowly trying to open up that door of just, we're all human now, like let's talk about it. And the signs for mental health for anyone is kind of the same. I can't, there's like a long list. So like I said at the beginning, it's that lack of motivation in life. It's the lack of interest in things that once brought you joy. It's more than just feeling sad. It's more than just wanting to, excuse me. It's more than just wanting to sleep all day because you're tired. Like it's just the individual trying to, find the energy just to like get up and brush their teeth. Like it's just being exhausted and numb all the time. And it's so important that, like I said, we check on people because there are people who have never talked about their mental health and, or don't, like you said, like don't really understand it. And that's kind of something that I've run into in the last year and a half or so. And to me, it was actually shocking that, there are some people that didn't 
understand or don't really know mental health, but when I kind of took back the initial shock of being in this conversation, it was someone who was from, I believe, Israel. I met her a year and a half ago and she was talking about how she's like in her country and in her culture, that's like, it just wasn't something that they really discussed. It was just kind of like you had said, Ali, that you just, you go through it. Like, this is just something that you have to go through because there are people before me who have gone through worse with much less. And that was her mentality was like, well, like, this is what happened in my country. This is what's happened in my household. And now this is why I'm here. So I don't really understand why people can't just move forward. And she wasn't saying it at all to be rude or anything like that. It was just different culture backgrounds. And so she was very open to have the conversation with me of like, what does this look like in someone? Because she's like, I have friends that are sad, but it seems like it's worse than just being sad. And she's like, I don't know how to handle that because I've never really had to experience something like that. And so I told her the same thing of just, just be there for them and just ask them if they're okay, if they need anything, if they say they need space, give them space. If they say they need you to bring them food because they can't cook, by all means do that. It's just allowing yourself to be open and understanding. And I think that's something that we need to work on culturally and as a society. Like you said, they're going through it and they get it. Some people have loved ones that have gone through it. And then there's others where it's, you know, uh, culturally taboo or they, or just simply that they don't, they don't understand it. And I, you know, and even from a, a personal perspective, I've had conversations with people that have anxiety and, I, and I'm honest with them. Like, I don't, I don't understand it. You know, I don't, on a personal level, I haven't gone through, through it. So I don't know, I don't necessarily know what it's like to wake up in the morning and not want to get out of bed short of it's warm and I'm still sleepy. Right. Like I don't, I don't know anything beyond, I don't know anything beyond that. And I think to your point, talking about it and having that conversation and trying to be, um, trying to be supportive um, is important. I also, I also do think too, as well, that what your website provides is very important too, because those are professionals, right? Like I, I may know how to have a conversation and talk, but, that's just what we're taught. You just talk these things through and you kind of, mm-hmm. you know, you kind of walk off from it. And that's, and, but that's different from getting professional help, right? Just yeah. talking to someone who may not fully, may not fully get it, but it's just supportive of you as a human being because they care about you, right? Um, mm-hmm. So um, I, I think that's important. I like where you're going with that. Um, my kickback question for you, my kickback question for you would be this, for those that are going through it, what do, what should they be doing? Whether it's, it, let's just say they're in the same household that you were in, right? You don't want to talk about it. Um, you don't want to bring it up to your parents. You feel as though people around you don't necessarily get it or understand. It may be culturally taboo. It may just be embarrassing or what have you. What should they do to start the process for themselves to make sure that they are actively pursuing either treatment or a place to get better support um, or what have you? Um, so this, when I was 16, this is basically what happened with me. I didn't tell my parents anything. Um, I hid my struggles for the longest time from my parents. Um, obviously they knew about like the diagnosis a little bit, but they didn't know to the extremity of what I was like dealing with. And so I like remember just trying to 
find things that brought me joy. And even then that was still a process up until I was 19, just remembering like that I need to care for myself in some way, even if I was battling uh, suicide ideation, it was just trying to find those little things that spark joy. And that could be like making my favorite meal or like going on a walk or going to the park. Um, I used to live up north in Bellingham and that's where I went to school for a little bit. And I would find myself at the park that was on the water all the time. And I would sometimes just sit in my car and cry or I would go to the coffee shop that's on the water and get a drink and just sit there. Or I would just go on walks along the boardwalk. And it's just kind of doing those things that, like I said, just make you smile or make you feel a little bit of happiness because self-care is so important even if you're not at the point of wanting to share with anyone or seek out professional help if you can at least start the process of just trying to care for yourself a little bit more then that makes the journey a little bit easier and like I said self-care is not a one-size-fits-all so it can be different for anyone and my self-care routine has changed so much over the so much over the last eight years and it's definitely not the same as it was when I was 16. Like it looks a lot different now that I'm 24, but self-care is the biggest thing. If I could promote anything else, it would be self-care because realistically, no one's going to love you more than you. So, and that sounds super cliche, but you have to put in the time and energy to love yourself a little bit more because your brain is going to try to tell you that you're worthless and that you have no purpose here and that you are not doing anything right. And it's just going to feed you all these negative things. And if you let it, then you let your mental illness essentially take control of your life and it will run your life and for the longest point possible. <laughs> but in reality, if you can tell yourself that you matter and that you are enough and that it's going to be okay or that it is okay, then like I said, it all becomes just a little bit easier. I had to lie to myself for several years of saying it's okay when my brain was like, it's not okay. Like, this is just going to get worse. You might as well just give up now. And trying to fight that inner monologue with just constantly reminding myself it's okay it's okay, just deep breaths, it's okay. And I wrote it's okay on sticky notes and I stuck it all over my binders, I stuck it on my laptop, I stuck it like in on my mirror. And so it would be the first thing I saw. And when I actually left Bellingham to move back home, I impulsively got it's okay tattooed on my wrist and I it's in my handwriting. And so it's this thing that I look at all the time and it just reminds me that it's okay and it also reminds me like I got through it once and you can get through it again and so I think that just little things like that that make your life a little easier will make the journey a little bit easier as well. I think those are very critical points that you brought up um you know just retraining your brain kind of how they say fake it till you make it or if you smile mm -hmm. If you smile long enough and eventually you trick your body into releasing the hormones and endorphins to make you feel happy. Um, yeah. Treating your whole body and your whole mind is critical in recovery and in self-care and in getting yourself out of it. And every day your self-care, self-love habit may be different. Today it may look like going for a walk. Tomorrow it may look like taking a nap. The day after it may look like, you know, painting your nails or going for a run or, you know, treating yourself to something nice. So 
Um, I appreciate that you brought that up. Thank you so much, Savannah, for joining us. Um, and before we close out, is there anything else you'd like to uh, share about the work that you do to help promote it? Or where can people uh, contact you if they have any questions or would like to connect or, or receive some help? Yeah. Um, so you can reach me at keepchoosinglife.org. That's the website. And there are two other people on my team. There's David Hoffman, who's our communications and logistics coordinator. And so he handles a lot of the logistical stuff of the organization. And then there's Mariah Charnley, who is the social media and programs manager. And so with her, we are currently working on um, programs to speak in schools. So when it is safe again, we will be talking about mental health on a broader spectrum. <laughs> and you can reach me, obviously, for all other questions. Uh, we're also accessible on Instagram. So that's just at Keep Choosing Life. And if you want to have a question or you need to talk about something that's also not super, that you don't want, like, on the public sphere, essentially, you can email us at keepchoosinglife at gmail.com and we'll respond. Give us about 24 hours. <laughs> but we'll respond and we'll be there. And the bigger thing that I'd like to also mention is that currently for Keep Choosing Life, we have two stickers. There's You Matter and You Are Enough. They are just black triangles with the messages on them. Um, we're running these posts, we're running the promotion basically until I ever decide to stop doing it, but I probably won't. But all proceeds from these two stickers go to the organization called Inclusive Therapists. And their whole mission is to get therapy resources to marginalized communities. So whatever ethnic background you are, whatever sexuality you identify as or anything like that, they are there for you. And currently at this moment, they're offering discounted therapy and it is virtual. So if you are in Texas and I believe outside of that, you can reach out to them and you can meet a therapist that fits your needs. But I just want to say thank you so much for having me on your podcast. And I had a lot of fun today. <laughs> Absolutely. It was, a, it was our pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. It was great to um, get to know you and I'm looking forward to seeing all of the work that you're doing and thank you for being such a catalyst for change in so many people's lives. Yeah, thank you and thank you for allowing me to share. Absolutely. Anytime. Thank you for listening to another episode of We're Not So Different podcast. Be sure to subscribe, share, and review on your favorite podcast platform. You can also find us on social media by looking up the handle at WNS Different or We're Not So Different on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. You can also join us live on Instagram or check out our previous live episodes on IGTV by following us at WNS Different. If you have comments, questions, or thoughts, feel free to email us at WNSDifferent at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you.